Hello and welcome to Prepare to Answer Ministries. Good to have you with me today. Um, I'll get to the question that I'm answering in a moment, uh, the objection or sort of something I've been reading about recently. Um, but just before I do, I just was going to share, I hope you're all encouraged by God's love. You hope you're all finding God working in your life. I shared a lesson recently on Bible study. Um, and I think one of the main things I shared from it was the idea that God would be speaking to you through his word. Um, I think that's just something that's completely priceless. Or speaking to you through his word, speaking to you through your life, that he seems near and he seems, and you feel close to God. Um, and that we're not uh, watching ourselves from drifting away. I think one of the things I've experienced recently was um, a lot of challenges, actually. And I know I do feel like I say this a fair bit on here, but I did a lot of some, maybe two or three acute um, and quite out of the ordinary stressors, to be honest, finding myself being a bit fixated on thinking about a few particular things. And I did wonder why God sort of let them continue or in the way that he did. Um, but I definitely came, I definitely gained some wisdom at the end of the trials where I realized that the stress and the trials brought the situation to a sharper focus. And in fact, it resulted in me bringing about solutions to the particular problems. So the problems I was talking about sort of stayed at a minor to a moderate level of stress most of the time, but because they increased in intensity, I actually got solutions for them, which may bring them down to being um, zero stress, if you like. So and obviously we are to trust in God, and Philippians 4 says to cast all our anxiety on the God, and that encourages and I encourage myself, and I certainly tried to do that more and more. But yeah, just that God's been bringing um, some three troubles. He brings about greater things. He brings about things that you didn't expect. He brings about solutions that, that wouldn't have came otherwise. Um, something happens as a result of, of a challenge. So it's obviously always worth keeping that in mind. And certainly I ask myself, when I'm faced with challenges and difficulties, you know, what, what could God be doing or, or what might God do or what's he wanting to see in me? Maybe it's just that I'll seek him in the midst of the trial and experience God's peace that transcends understanding rather than having it fixed, which I know is a problem of mine. So um, it's nice for me to come on here and air my challenges and, and the weaknesses that I'm aware of. Um, it is good to be aware of your strengths, but also be aware of your weaknesses. It certainly means that you're not um, left caught off guard, if you like, um, by the things that come our way in life. But today I'm going to address a difficult passage, and it's in Matthew 24. And I want to address this because the question has come up recently about Jesus predicting the end of the temple or is it the end of the age or is it his second coming? What is it that's actually going on here? Um, and specifically addressing it because there is a passage in, in that which says that um, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away till all these things have happened. And people have a problem with that line because the things he's described seem to be describing his second coming and the end of the age. Then he says this generation, which refers to the people he was talking to, will certainly not pass away to all these things have happened. Well, we know that they passed away. We know that they died. Um, but they did this before Jesus came back. So did Jesus predict something that didn't happen? 
uh, or what is the, what is the story? So we're going to look at that a little bit, and just my own sort of slant on it. I've certainly been reading it and rereading it and commentaries and various things. And to be honest with you, I've kind of came away with my own slant on what I actually think is going on. So I'm very aware of the fact that a lot of people will not agree with or think that it makes sense what I've said. I mean, I certainly think it's, it makes logical sense, but whether you agree that that's what's meant is a different matter altogether. Uh, I will address that in a moment then in terms of um, interpretation principles, principles of interpretation that I believe we need to lean upon when we meet difficult passages like this. So in Matthew 24, the apostles said to Jesus, they left the temple and as they were walking away, the disciples came to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? So it was his chance to share. They pointed out the temple, Jesus' chance to share. He says, I do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And then as they were sitting in the Mount of Olives, and it could have been a short time later, it may have been a long time later, the disciples came to ask him privately about what he had said. Tell us, said, when will this, so presumably not a long time after. said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it appears to us there, and it is in reality three questions, but to them this was one question. Because what Jesus was describing in the downfall of the temple, the destruction of the temple, to them meant the end of everything. This was going to happen at the end of the age. They couldn't conceive of a time when the temple would not be standing. This was God's representation on the earth. So to them, when they asked this question, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in at the end of the age? So to them, this was all one question. When will all this end happen? So we've got to keep that in mind when we think about what Jesus says in response to the questions, because in essence, to us, we know that there's three different questions. When would the temple be destroyed? Um, you know, what would be the sign of Jesus' coming, the sign of his coming? And then what, when would be the end of the age? So in a sense, there are probably two or more likely three different questions there. And Jesus answers them in different ways. So for me, it describes in verse 4 to verse 9, Jesus talks about, let no one deceive you about coming in my name, saying I am the Christ. Don't be deceived by this. You'll hear wars, rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. You'll talk about kingdoms rising against kingdoms, famines and earthquakes in various places, verses 48. And these are the beginnings of birth pains. So to me here, in verses 4 to 9, Jesus could be answering either question here. He's either talking about a general end of the age because he's talking about birth pains, wars and rumours of wars. He could be talking about the signs of the end of the age because he says birth pains, not that it would end at that point. Or he could also be referring to events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple which happened in AD 70. So he could be referring to either here. At this point, I don't think it really matters because he certainly says in verse 9, then you. So he talks specifically to the apostles so he's moving to them specifically, and from verse nine all the way to twenty-eight, he talks about um, the you know the increase of wickedness will grow, um, the gospel will be preached um, to the whole world, um, abomination that causes desolation will be set up in the temple of Jerusalem, which we know happened at the time of Titus. Um, again, that Daniel prophesied. He says, "Don't flee when you see this happening. Um, flee um, to the mountains. Get get away." Because of what's about to come. And we know from that Josephus writes about the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. It's been almost apocalyptic in terms of everything that happened. So this fits with what Jesus said about 
as we know that happened, not a stone was left on another in the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem came in AD 70. So we know that what was written about here is very specifically fulfilled, you know, again in AD 70. Um, so this is what's described here from 9 to 28. But then he goes on and it, it, the tone kind of changes again then in verse 29 onwards. But what I'd say about the bit before that, up from verses 9 to 28, and even before that, in fact, throughout this whole chapter, Jesus consistently tells them, watch out that you won't be deceived by false messiahs. He constantly keeps telling them this so that they'll be aware, so that they'll be watchful and look out. And it says in verse 20, um, 26, if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, don't go out. Here he is in their rooms, don't believe it. So he keeps needing to tell them this. Look, don't be deceived by people. Um, I don't want you to, to go after the wrong person, if you like. Um, so what I believe Jesus then does is in verse 27, in connection with not being deceived by false messiahs, he said, as lightning comes from the east, is visible in the west, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, the vultures will gather. Then he says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All nations on earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky. Power and great glory, angels, four winds, trumpet calls, and all the things that you remember read about at the end of the age. So Jesus specifically gives them a lot of detail here about his second coming. Now, the question I have to ask is, what's the context? The context here is that he was warning them consistently, don't be deceived by false messiahs. Um, if they say I'm over here, don't go over. So what he then does for me is he then says, well, look, here's why you don't need to follow false messiahs, because when I do come, it'll be really obvious. It'll be, as he says here, um, like lightning is visible, everyone will see it. Everyone will gather. Um, at the time of the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all nations on the earth will mourn, because everybody's going to see him coming on the clouds. So he's saying that you don't need to follow false messiahs because when I come, you can't miss me. It's impossible to miss me. So that's what the context for me is, why he moves on to describing how his second coming will come about. Because he's telling them, look, you don't follow, follow the wrong people, you'll know when I come back. Because then he, he goes on to say in verse 32, and I'll summarize this in a moment. Verse 32 he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, the generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So he then moves away from the second coming to tell them that they'll know by watching like the fig tree, you'll know what's coming because of the signs. So what he's then getting them to do is, he's getting them to watch out for the signs, the birth pains. So he's moved back to them again. He described what a second coming would be like. Then he goes on to them and says, here's how you can watch out for the signs. All these things, birth pains, signs of the ends of the age. This is a warning for what they were to watch out for. So in other words, he wasn't saying, you know, he, he, he knew that they wouldn't miss him when he came. But then he reverted back to saying, you're going to get the signs of birth pains before my second coming ever comes about. So for me, when he says, this tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. All these things have happened, for me, are the birth pains. 
the sign of the end, signs of the end. It wasn't his second coming. All these things that would happen were all the things before his second coming. The second coming was described by Jesus in order to assure them that you won't miss me when I come. What he's really describing about is nations against nations, famines, earthquakes, the destruction of the temple. He's describing how many false messiahs would come. These are all the birth pains. These are all the warning signs for the end of the age. And again, we've been in the end of the age for a while. He wasn't then saying, you're also going to see the second coming. He was just describing the second coming to tell them, look, don't worry. People won't miss me when I come. Yes, many people will come and claim their Jesus is the Messiah, but don't listen to them. Excuse me, but don't listen to them because when I do come, you'll know it's me. You don't need to worry about that. So when he says that this generation will not pass away till all these things have happened, all these things that have happened were the signs of the end of the age. They were the signs, they were the warning signs. As he told his apostles, you'll know by the signs, like just as the fig tree blossoms, you know it's the summer's coming. You'll know that these are the warning signs, so be ready. And you think, well, okay, that, that's your interpretation, Simon. Uh, maybe that seems likely, maybe it doesn't. What makes that more likely? Well, for me, uh, and the reason I'm saying this is because it shows that Jesus didn't get his prophecy wrong. He wasn't saying, you guys right now are going to see all these events, including my second coming. And of course, that didn't happen, so he got it wrong. That wasn't in his mind. It was the birth pains that they were going to see, not necessarily a second coming. How do I know this for sure? Well, what confirms it even more for me? So the, the is in one verse later, heaven and earth will pass away, my words will never pass away. One verse later in verse 36, Jesus then says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So a verse, two verses after saying that this generation will not pass away till they've seen all these things, he then says that no one knows the day or the hour, neither angels nor her Son, including himself. Now, would it make any sense to say that this generation will see my second coming? And then two verses later say that no one actually knows when it's going to happen. Yet he's just guaranteed them, supposedly, that they would never miss this second coming. Again, that doesn't make any sense. Clearly, when Jesus says, you know, no one knows the day or they are, he's not going to commit himself two verses before this by telling people when and what generation it was going to come in. He said he didn't know when he was going to come back. Only the Father knows. So that perfectly ties into the context when he's saying that it'll not, you'll not pass away before you've seen all these things, it was all the birth pains. And again, I'll state again, just for clarity, the reason he described the second coming was to say, all these people claim to, fall, claim to be a Messiah. They're not. Don't worry. You'll know when I come back because no one's going to miss it. And he broke off for a moment, if you like, to describe what the second coming was going to be like. So, and again, perfectly fits with verse 36 because it wouldn't make any sense that he would tell them when it was going to happen specifically in what generation and then turn around and tell them that he's not supposed to know again it wouldn't make any sense so um, Jesus referred to the second coming to make the point that when he appears to people they can't miss it they won't miss it and it perfectly fits with the context so I don't know what you think about that please drop me your thoughts on it um, I, I understand that most people think, well, that's just your view on it. That doesn't, and maybe even a particular reason why you oppose that view. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I really would. Um, but you know what? It doesn't really matter to me whether people agree with that view or not, whether that's the case or not. 
I think it, this really does matter because I have heard people losing heart because it seemed like Jesus predicted something that didn't happen. And to me, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with the context of the passage. So what I'd like to say for a moment is, how do I interpret difficult passages? Now, I've talked about this a bit before. You know, difficult passages, interpretation principles, if you like. That's a bit long-winded. Interpretation principles, if you like. One of the things I take with the Bible is that it's innocent to proven guilty. If I've lived by this book that God has given us for 20 years and I've followed it and I've investigated it and I've yet to find fault in God's word and then I meet something like this that doesn't seem to fit, well, you know what? I'm not going to suddenly put it in the dock and say it's guilty till I've proven it innocent because I've lived by it and it's proven itself time and time again, even in the most unexpected of circumstances, to be complete and perfect and for me, innocent, if you like. So for me, what I'd say when you meet a difficult passage is don't throw it in the dock straight away and say it's guilty to prove an innocent. You wouldn't do that with, you know, uh, dare I say your children or your wife or something that meant something to you. You wouldn't all of a sudden because of one verse or one statement or one claim say, OK, well, I can't trust this anymore. I'm saying, look, it's innocent till it's proven guilty. So I need to be conv- convinced that it's proven guilty, if you like. So for me, I keep that that I keep it in that position, even when I meet difficult passages. So in this case, you know, it, it remained innocent till I got a chance to view it. And you know what? In some instances, I just couldn't say for sure what a particular scripture may mean. I don't particularly completely understand the context, historical references. I don't really know exactly some on some occasions what something means. Um, the other thing I'd say in terms of interpretation principles interpretation um, is go with what isn't clear to form you what, what isn't as clear. So if there's passages that are clear on a topic, you would start with them to help you make sense of the other passages that aren't as clear to you, given the context, the history, the culture at the time. Go with the bits that you're more clear on to help inform you of the bits that aren't. Um, doctrines. You know, a clear doctrine on something, you know it's clearly stating about, um, you know, a particular topic. Uh, there's an obscure verse somewhere where you're not sure what it means. I mean, sometimes people take it to mean like alcohol. They think, well, there's a verse that, that seems to encourage you to drink. You know, you know, take a little wine for your stomach, Paul tells Timothy. And you're like, okay, well, that's confusing. Or another verse that says that wine may be good for you in the Proverbs. And you're like, that's confusing. No, no, well, go and read Galatians 5.19 and read the, the clear verses that tell you that it's, it is a sin in God's eyes to get drunk because it leads to debauchery in Ephesians. And it's also not, it's going to have its consequences if you live, if you live like this. Um, so again, that's a clear scripture to help you make sense of other scriptures that you might think, I don't understand why it says that. But also in the person of Jesus as well. The, the consistent theme of Jesus is he accurately predicted. The Bible is full of accurate predicted prophecies. I'm not going to fall apart because there's this supposedly one prophecy that hasn't came about the way he said it was going to come about, potentially. Again, I don't believe that's what's happened, but it's just while something is, there's a question mark over something. I personally love investigating these things. Um, I, whilst it may appear that I seem biased, I genuinely try to be as neutral as possible. I'm sure I'm not completely neutral. I obviously have a slant on what I believe to be true, but I do genuinely try to look at things very objectively. Anyway, that's some principles of interpretation. It, for me, if you've lived by it and you're not new to this, it's innocent till proven guilty and go with what is clear to inform you of the bits that maybe you feel aren't clear. And again, don't throw the tile in straight away. What I also say about the bits that are clear is, 
as often has been said, the cle- clearest bit um, of you know teaching and evidences that we have very often is that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, that far overwhelms other little matters of doctrine and little points of contention that you may have. If Jesus rose from the dead and we've got evidence to back that up, then that's much more powerful than the little doubts that we can we can have. And I could say a lot more about that, but just to not ramble on here for too long today, appreciate you tuning in. Again, it's just some thoughts on, yeah, some recent things that God's been doing in my life. I'd love you to drop down things that's been happening in your life, things that have helped you, um, but also just looking at Matthew 24. And this is just my slant on the context of Matthew 24 and what did Jesus mean with this particular prophecy. Uh, Again, I'm open to hear what other people have to say about it and also just some principles of general interpretation when you meet something that can be quite challenging. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope I'll be back with you all again very soon with other just questions to help us be prepared to answer um, in this world where we can put out the name of God to as many people as possible. Many thanks. Right with you again soon.